Welcome to the Old Galway Diary Podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you. Tom, I have um, a new busker for you. Uh, you might be interested. You gave a great list last time we were talking. Yes. Not only musicians, but the puppet player and uh, various tightrope walkers and people uh, chained and leaping from their chains. But I was passing the prom, walking the prom the other day, two days actually, and there's a Madame Helena in a little caravan there with the notice outside, and she will tell your future. So I just thought we, we better add her to the list of... Well, the, indeed, yes. Yeah, free used to be a lady yes. outside yeah. the Ulster Bank in Air Square. Oh, that's right. Doing the same Madam thing. Bridget. Yeah. Madam Bridget, yes, that's right. Yes, I know. Yeah. Oh, Bridget, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. That's yeah. right, yes. I don't know how accurate now she was, but she uh, would, she yes. would read your palm. I would sometimes watch her. I did sort of stay outside the caravan of Madame Helena and pretended to be looking around, hoping to see anybody going in. Uh, but I didn't. Nobody went in. So no. I moved on. And then I thought maybe there was somebody in there for so long. You know, I didn't see them come out. So anyway. What you need to do, Ronnie, in the yeah. interest of research is go in yourself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think I have the courage for some reason. I think my future, Tom, may not be as bright as other people's, as young Excuse people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Rubbish. We won't talk. We won't, we'll move along. We'll move along, Tom. Anyway. Well, uh, speaking, sorry, of the yeah, prom, Ronnie, uh, yeah, that's essentially on. where I am this week. Good. Um, in the early 50s, the government came up with the decision uh, to organize a major national festival called Untoastal. Oh, Yes. The main idea behind this was to celebrate Irish traditional forms of yes, fun indeed. and enjoyment and pleasure and so on. And, of course, another way of looking at it for them was possibly extending the tourist season. Yeah. Anyway, there were events organized, traditional music, dance, all that kind of thing, all over the country, Gaelic games, etc. But the highlight every year in the 50s happened in Salt Hill. And these were the Curragh races, the annual Curragh races, which were essentially the National Curragh Racing Championships. I remember them well, yeah. Yeah. The enormous crowds used to come to Salt Hill. Yeah. 60,000 was kind of an average. Uh, yeah. Up to 80,000, they estimated one year. Uh, but what I remember about the, I remember the, some about the races themselves, but mostly what I remember is the atmosphere in Salt Hill, which changed completely. You would have people four and five deep all along the prom. Every vantage point was taken over by crowds. Uh, there were corrucks everywhere. They were, you could see them obviously in the water, at the water's edge, on the grass verge, 
on uh, trailers and everything. And, and these were specially designed curves. These were not your average fisherman's curve. These were designed for speed. Mm. So there was always a crowd around each and every one of these yes. little boats uh, wondering at how they made them, why they made them this, why would they do that? Yes. They do it different and carry that kind of thing, you know. Uh, and, and when they were on the water, uh, and certainly if it was any kind of a misty or a drizzly day, there were just like tiny insects out there in the sea. <clears throat> uh, but there were <clears throat> loudspeakers all over Salt Hill, <clears throat> excuse me, relaying the, doing a commentary on the race as it was going on. Uh, there were crowds, as I say, mountainy men, island men, yes. lots of old bonnie and braids yes, and caps. Everybody seemed to have a cap, <laughs> hundreds and thousands of caps, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. And in the early days, certainly there were women in uh, different kinds of shawl and red petticoats. I think that began to change as the 50s went on. They were more uh, dressed normally in raincoats or whatever, you know. But there were stalls everywhere. They were selling all kinds of goodies, mineral sweets and everything. And there were stages erected at intervals along the prom. And so it was kind of like an enormous open air area going on because oh. there was singing, traditional yeah. singing, dancing, music yeah. going on on all of these stages. Yes. Um, there seemed to be a winning post at Black Rock, Tom, because you know that amphitheater right. that's there now, the sort of cemented, all those seats, the, the layers, the, the rows of seats going down to the sea at Black Rock. Yeah, that, that, that would be absolutely jammed. With, with yeah, well, you can't see that row of seats in my photograph okay. because it is covered with people. Yeah, You're absolutely <laughs> right. It, it, yeah. The race yeah. started from Black Rock and finished at Black Rock. Right. The course was about two and a half miles long, which is a lot of rowing, yeah. particularly when you're up against uh, tough men, island men. And remember, uh, the, the actual racing was extremely important. It was a very serious business. The, like these were all men whose livelihood was the sea. And so it would be of supreme importance to them and to their parish that they would be the greatest curragh races in the country today kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it was a there were prizes as well. But mm. I think it was the honour as much as anything else uh, mm. that, that drove them on. But yeah. on the prom, I mean, uh, there were three-card trick men. There were uh, <laughs> bookies at Black Rock. Yeah. Uh, there was a big marquee at Black Rock for food. Uh, yeah. There was another one just for the competitors alone. Uh, you know, there were bands playing at Black Rock. There was another oh, at Ladies yeah. Beach. Uh, there was, and there were different accents. Yes. This was, it was kind of like a musical symphony. Kerry mm. accents, Cork accents, yeah. Donegal, Winter Connemara, August and Hillion, you know. <clears throat> there was this <clears throat> extraordinary mix, excuse me. Cork uh, uh, men from all over the country. <clears throat> yes. The famous, the very famous Joyce's from Inish Barachai, who were undefeated, but they won it for three years running. Oh, my God. Uh, so it was a festival, and, yes. and there was yeah. a big festival dance in the hangar. Yeah. It all started with uh, an industrial parade, which to my young eyes was really boring. 
<laughs> like o- over 60 floats. Yeah. But in yeah. fact, in the 50s, <clears throat> these were showing us what new industries were on the scene and how Ireland was changing and <clears throat> expanding and more and more people going into work and so on. Yeah. So anyway, the races were extraordinarily serious. The first year they held the, this championship at the Cleda. But in fact, Salt Hill was a natural amphitheatre, really. Yes. And could yeah. take enormous crowds. Yes. And sadly, sadly, and I'm not quite sure why, <clears throat> the um, it began to fade out uh, in the late 50s. It lasted for about seven, eight years. Uh, and it was a shame, really. And now, I mean, now with modern technology and an even more expanded promenade now, uh, yes, it would be even a better amphitheater to host such an event again. It would take a lot of organization. I know. I'm not know. throwing out this idea yeah. irresponsibly, yeah. but uh, and there were some very dramatic. Um, in 1957, there was a very dramatic final <clears throat> when uh, five of the six crews that uh, went the wrong way around a marking boy, and they were all disqualified. <laughs> in fact, it was the Mayo champions, Clare Island, who became the Irish champions. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. Like they came from Achill, they came from North Donegal. Yeah, I remember. All over the and they kind of wore a, a participant costume, certainly the Bonine and the Bonine cap and the, 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 the Chris. Around the race, that's right, Aaron Christian. Yeah, yeah. So you 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 knew your team, and uh, there was huge support for various local teams, as you say, Little Mullen and places like that. It really was an event. What a pity <laughs> that has been allowed to slip away. You know, it'd be, yeah. It'd be they used to say that uh, yeah. Connemara was emptied of people that <laughs> day, <laughs> Isn't that it they, really? because they came in by boat, by car, by yeah, bus, yeah. by bicycle, by pony yeah. and trap. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and everywhere. Convoys, yeah. and, and indeed, they came from all over the country. Yeah, uh, every train that came into the station was packed. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, and just convoys of buses coming mm. to Galway from Kerry, Donegal, wherever. I know, uh, you know, <clears throat> wonderful, Tom. Yeah. That's absolutely terrific, and I think a lot of people our age will remember that with great pleasure. And uh, as I said before, you know, there wasn't a lot of entertainment in those days. There was sport, certainly, and there were dances and there was the fun fair in the square for race week and there was race week itself. But this was another major event in the summer and it attracted, as you said, huge crowds. I'm looking forward to that, Tom. I'd love to see that photograph. Yeah, good man. Well, I'm I'm still still with Claire Sheridan. And there is a danger at this stage that. I, I'm more fond of writing about her than the readers might be of reading it. So I, <laughs> I have to be. I have ah, to don't be so it. modest. Oh, you're being very nice. No, <laughs> I'm not being modest at all. Because in fact, you know, she, she, I, I've told her, she, she, I told you she's a sculptor. She was married. She had three children. And uh, her husband was killed in the First World War. And she was kind of at a loose end. And she was a bit wild. And she kind of never settled down. Her her, her daughter, Margaret, grew into a, uh, the only child that grew into adulthood, actually. Uh, used to say that her mother was really an embarrassment. And I, I know a lot of mothers could be too, but 
Claire Sheridan was an embarrassment on a grand scale. And was, yeah. <laughs> um, it just happened that uh, the Russian, the Soviet delegation in London in, in 1920 now, uh, realized that Claire Sheridan's first cousin was Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill absolutely detested the Bolsheviks. He just openly detested them. And uh, they pulled off a little coup here. They inveigled Claire. They invited her to come to Moscow. And they said that all the Politburo uh, leaders would, would pose for her while she sculpts them. And they would keep the uh, sculptures as a, sort of a historical moment of what was happening. And the last final attraction was that Lenin himself had agreed to pose for her. Well, of course, she could not resist that as she was wild. She was an embarrassment. She didn't care a damn what Churchill thought or anybody else thought she was going. And she sneaked off kind of incognito and arrived in Moscow and was, of course, in freezing weather. She had all the wrong clothes. But gradually, she was absorbed into the Politburo itself. And indeed, she did sculpt Lenin, Trotsky, and several other names that are hardly difficult to pronounce. But these were dangerous men. These were men, the revolution was over. They had fought several other wars, and now they were fighting a civil war, and they were deadly. And I've always noticed in history, a deadly person is one that works through the night and sleeps by day. So when you're, when you're asleep, they're working for your downfall. So you better be yeah. careful. But in fact, she had an amazing time. And uh, she definitely had an affair with Trotsky. And Trotsky, even though uh, he was a uh, commissar of the, of the army, uh, fighting this civil war in the Crimea particularly, um, he made time for her. They were definitely intimate. But um, she actually got frightened herself when he invited her to come with him on a tour down to the Crimea. She got frightened and she said, no, no, no this, I, this is getting too deep for me. So uh, she, she came back to London and um, Churchill was absolutely furious, incandescent with rage, really. He was humiliated because the Soviets were able to say, look how, how nice we are, really. We treat a, a cousin of Churchill. We treat her with great respect. And Russia is a place that admires artists and uh, gives them employment. And uh, we're reaching out for other artists to come and see for themselves this great revolution that was happening. But <laughs> the furore was so strong anyway, that uh, her mother said, you've got to get out of here, you better go to America. And that's the next adventure. But England were absolutely fascinated by this. And she was surrounded by journalists writing the story. And of course, every story that appeared about her adventures there with Trotsky and Lenin and all these people, uh, you know, they sold magazines and she was inveigled to write a book from Mayfair to Moscow, which of course she did again to the horror of Churchill that was totally embarrassed. So really that's my story. Um, I go into a lot of detail about her time in Moscow, how she was treated there. It really is, I think, quite interesting. And um, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Well, it, it is to think then that eventually she spent her latter years in Galway, uh, yeah. where people remember, didn't people forgot a lot about this. I think they did. Yeah, I remember her. Do you, Tom? I do. Yeah. I do. She used to come in to uh, see my mother in the bookshop. Yeah. 
He yeah. would burst in the door. I should <laughs> say. Maureen, I'm on my way uptown. I'll be back for the cup of tea and I'll give you all the scandal. <laughs> she was very eccentric, very colorful, and yes. uh, and and you wouldn't miss her on the street. No, I can promise no. you that. She was quite a uh, voluptuous uh, personage and wore very free-flowing clothes with all kinds of uh, religious uh, symbols on it because it, when she came to Galway, she was converted to be a Catholic. But I'll come to that, I'll come right. to that again later on. But yes. I, I just smile at her daughter's Margaret saying that my mother was lovely, but she was very embarrassing. And <laughs> we all know exactly what that was about. Well, indeed, indeed. But Tom, the other good news is that this week, you and I have a little more space. We have persuaded the powers that be in the advertiser to give us more space. And I'm glad to say we have it. So I've used two photographs this week. I don't know what you're doing, but um, anyway, we have more space. I'm glad to say so. Wonderful. Yeah, it is good. I'm Tom, looking forward to that. I hope others look forward to it as well. I hope they do too. Yes, our <laughs> readers, I think, are, are in the low 20s. So we, we, we might push that along and hopefully with the extra space, we might get up to 30. So we'll see. Anyway, Tom, I'm looking forward to the reliving the, uh, the current races. And thanks, Tom. We'll talk again. Okay, Ronnie. We will. Bye, Tom. God bless.